of our guests. If you're a first-time guest, uh, we always say it, but it's, it's true. It's not just something we're saying. Uh, we're thankful that you're here with us, and we hope that you'll stop by our Welcome Center so we can answer any questions for you. And uh, we've got a gift for you. If you're a first-time guest, if you're a returning guest, thank you for coming back. I haven't run you off yet, so, uh, but hold on. This morning might change that. So uh, we, uh, we're going through the, the study of the church, and uh, there have been different points along the way that we've tried to grab hold of and learn from them as I, what I believe the, the last, uh, the anchor leg of the church, if, if you want to consider it a race. Uh, the first church came out of the blocks just tearing it up. Uh, they were on fire. They were being obedient to the call and the command. And uh, in our last sermon uh, before Easter, we saw that the church uh, was going through a lot of struggles and that the struggle doesn't negate the call. Uh, it doesn't mean that just because things get difficult or because you, you, you face tough times or even persecution comes to the church, uh, that it takes away what God has left us here as his people, his family, his church to do, which is to share the gospel with every creature and to disciple those who are saved. And again, we have to make a determination in our lives as the followers of Jesus Christ not to allow anything to silence or cancel the call. As I said, uh, the first church fa faced the first cancel culture, if you will. And uh, I know it's something that's been talked about and pushed in our day and time. And uh, again, it's, it's, it's creeping in on the church now. Uh, again, we, we've talked about that recently, how uh, there are certain things that are trying to uh, infiltrate or come into uh, legislation and the law that uh, be I believe wholeheartedly are from the enemy and are coming to specifically attack the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, again, our call is to proclaim the gospel until he returns or until he calls us home. And uh, again, what we've seen in this study, in last, uh, the last uh, study specifically, was the church was facing a severe persecution and they saw their first martyr. We know that Jesus Christ died uh, for the church. It's his church, his blood-bought church. Uh, but we saw Stephen uh, step forward as a leader, obedient, faithful, and he was martyred for his obedience. He was martyred for his faithfulness. He was martyred for sharing the good news that Jesus came to save the lost. We talked about how many in Christianity today, how they approach following Christ. And, I, and it's sad to say that I do believe there's a lot of Christians today that approach following Christ more at their pleasure than at the Lord's pleasure. And that's deeply concerning. The reason why is because Jesus said, you can't call yourself a disciple of his if that's how you approach following him. If that's how you approach his people, his church, his kingdom. So many people today in our day and time are allowing many things to keep them from doing what we're doing right now. Assembling with the church in these last days. Again, assembling as the people of God is one of the most basic and, and one of the first things that Jesus taught. And not only did he teach, he walked with his disciples and showed them that what we're doing right now, gathering around the word of God, gathering together as the people of God, is vital. It's not, not just important, it's not just a command, but it's vital to the kingdom. It's vital to keeping the, 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 the body together, keeping the mission going, keeping the call fresh. Jesus told his followers when they said, hey, what's it going to look like in the end times? 
One of the things he warned his followers about was that there would be a great departure of the faith or from the faith. Paul would write about the end times, the condition of mankind in the end times, and and he would say that people would be lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. Is a couch, is a bed, is a earthly activity really more valuable, really more important than the Lord that we say we love? And that's, that's what is, is put before us. Are, are, there, more, are, there, are there people today that are, that are loving the things of this world more than the things of God or rather than the things of God? The lover of your soul, almighty God, Jesus Christ, the only one who could and did die so that we could have eternal life. Him, God, from the beginning has created community. And he's called his people to be faithful to community, to be faithful to assembly, to be faithful to to worship him. And again, the church age doesn't have anything new as far as that's concerned. He said when when things get difficult, the truth is people are going to leave. When things get tough, especially in the end, people are going to turn to what they want and what makes them comfortable. Again, they did when Jesus walked the earth. Many times people were following him and he was doing miracles and he was doing amazing things and and multitudes, crowds followed him and and everybody wanted to see what was going to happen, who Jesus was going to heal, what he was going to say, how many amazing things were going to be done that day. And then when he got a large following, he would turn around and give them hard sayings about you've got to live for me above all. You've got to be willing to love me more than you love anyone, any relationship, including yourself. He would say things like, you, you, if, any, if you want to follow me, you, you, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he wasn't talking about cannibalism or any type of weird thing. He was talking about it has to be an absolute surrender, an absolute you being consumed with him and him being completely your Lord and your Savior. Again, people would follow and he would say things and they would leave. He also said that the day of his return would draw near. And as the day of his return would draw near, that true believers would press in even more. True believers would would stop making excuses. They would would press in even more. And, and, And in Hebrews, he would say that as you see the day approaching, you should not only gather more, but you should exhort one another daily and, and, and encourage each other, stir each other up to love and good works. A deceptive, fleshly, and liberal pushback against legalism in the church created a dumbing down and a minimizing of the vital nature of believers gathering in the 21st century. You see, there was a, a, a big legalistic push And what many people did was push back against that, which is what mankind and the church has always done. There's always been a pendulum swing from one extreme to the next. And there was a legalistic push saying things like, well, you don't don't have to go to church. The the, the liberal push was, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. The reason why that came out is because there was a legalistic push that said, you have to go to church to be a Christian. 
We know that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's not what Scripture says. But true Christians have always gathered as the church faithfully. That's just the truth. Always have and always will. Until he takes us home to gather together forever. (laughs) That's the way he designed it. He designed us to be together and to faithfully stay together and to be encouraged and to be strengthened. It's what happens with with army units. It's it's what happens with teams. And that's just the way that the Lord designed it. And we have an extra help. We have the Holy Spirit that binds us together, that, that fills each individual believer, but also fills us together as a local body. So you have to ask in these end times, are you... As a follower of Jesus, if you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you proclaim to be a Christian, in these end times, are you preparing, are you helping prepare for the coming attack? Because it's coming. Whether we see it in our lifetime or whether the next generation or the next generation experiences this attack in the end time against the church, it's coming. Are you preparing for the coming struggle against Christ and his church? And that's something I think that we really have to take as real. Our world changed last year. I, I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. It, 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 there was a shift. Uh, our world hasn't gone back to normal, and I fully believe our world is not going back to normal. And I may be wrong. Maybe things get different and they go back to the way that we used to live, but I just feel like there has been such a shift in our world that it's, it's intended. It's God-allowed, God-ordained. It has thrust us in to the end of the end times. And I hope that you see the need. You know, as I said, like an army unit or, or a successful team, we, we have to be closer. We have to be more united. We have to be more on board together, more engaged, more devoted, more committed. You and I, as a church, we have got to be more invested and more faithful as the assault on the church rises in the end. Because if not, the, the, the assault's going to happen, and we're not going to be as strong as God would have us to be, and it's going to crater us. The first church, again, they faced persecution because they, were, they handled it. They went through it. They, they dealt with it. They were successful through the persecution because they were so close. They were so faithful in their gathering. They were so invested and committed to Christ and to each other. But the Bible said, and we saw in the last sermon in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, that they went everywhere. The church did, preaching the word. They didn't stop. Whenever they saw a leader in the church martyred, murdered, for his faith, his proclaiming of the gospel, the church seemed to get even stronger and even more committed to sharing the gospel with those in need. Again, they were about the same thing. They were about the gospel. They were about the call. They were about the mission together. It was simple. It wasn't, and again, that's one of the things I think that, that the enemy has caused in the, in the church in, in, in the last, you know, maybe a couple centuries, but specifically in the 21st century, is what are we doing here? Why do we even gather? Why do we call ourselves a church? And there's, we could go around the room and, and, and many people could say, well, I think that it's, it's about this. I think it's about that. I, I think that it's important for a church to have this. And I think it's important for a church to have that. But why were, was that first church so successful in and through the attack? They had truly surrendered their lives to Jesus, number one. And that meant that as a church, they were committed to each other. Just, like as I said, as a family, as a body, as a, as a team would be. And that's what mattered when they, when they gathered together. 
That's what mattered when they assembled together. And, and, and the Bible tells us on a daily basis, they were a family. They were his family. They were taking care of each other. We saw that through the first few, few books of Acts. People were in need. They were selling things. They were taking care of each other. People, they saw a problem arise in the church. Certain widows were being neglected. They, they came together. They solved the problem together. Again, they were taking care of each other. But in the midst of all of that, the lost were being reached. People were being saved. The Bible says the Lord not only added to the church daily, but it would go on to multiply the number of disciples. And the word of God would continue to increase as they were honoring and obeying Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this this morning. When you come to church and gather and assemble with the body of believers here, are you more concerned about what song is sung than what soul is saved? Amen. That is what's happening. See, Siri knows. But when you come here and, and gather, do you say... You know, I wonder what they're going to do today. I wonder what's going to ha- I wonder what the coffee's going to taste like. I wonder well, if the air is going to be too cold, if it's going to be too hot. Are you, are you more concerned about things like that, or are you so- concerned about souls being saved? I want to remind you that we're not going to be singing Southern Gospel. We're not going to be singing Country Gospel or old hymns. We're not going to be singing Contemporary Christian or Modern Worship as we know it when we get to heaven. Read it. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, talks about it. Revelation chapter 14, verse 3, talks about what kind of songs that we're going to sing. It says that we're going to sing new songs. And new songs are going to be sung. Not new in origin, but new in their offering. Fresh songs, as it would be interpreted. I believe we're going to be singing and worshiping the King of all kings, the God of all gods, the Lord of lords, the only one true God. I believe we're going to be worshiping Him forever with the most ancient, modern, old, contemporary worship ever offered. Why? Because our hearts will be right. And our hearts will be focused on him, not on us. One person, one reason, because he's worthy. And it says that, worthy is the lamb. It'll be all about him, not about our preferences or what we want. And so if that's going to happen, and the worship that God accepts is going to be that, then why wouldn't, why wouldn't we do that right now? Faithfully offer our hearts and worship to God. Why don't we just all throw out our preferences and stand firm on truth? Why don't we come together to worship our King, make it about Him, and encourage each other to be faithful to Him, and to be faithful to spread the good news of the gospel? Kind of like the first church did. I'm going to pray. If you want to leave, you can. (laughs) But I want to see what God has for us as we continue on. Remember, the church just saw the first martyr in front of their own eyes. They saw someone stand for truth, proclaim the gospel, and they get murdered for it. So what happens? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for the challenge that you give to me, the challenge you give to this church, Lord. Right now, the time demands for us to get more real than we ever have before. We we acknowledge that, God. The the division in our nation, the division, even among your people, is becoming even more and more apparent as every passing day goes by, Lord. We we need you. We need your help. We, We are calling out right now 
acknowledging that we need your spirit to fill us. We need your spirit to guide us and to do what you say you sent the spirit to do, to instruct us in righteousness, to convict us of sin. Lord, help us to to acknowledge our own pride, to acknowledge our own sinfulness, Lord, in in whatever area it is, and, and help us repent, Lord. Help us to turn to you, rely on you wholeheartedly, and as we turn to your word and and are, are, are trying to be unified and stirred by your word, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I also pray that if there is somebody here that's searching and they're not quite sure about what this is all about, or that they're not quite positive what, what it means to be saved, maybe it's the first time they've ever heard about being saved, they're here and they're not positive that they're going to spend eternity in heaven with you. I pray for that person that this morning they'll hear the good news that you love them enough to send Jesus to die for them, for their sins. God in the flesh, living a sinless life, paying for our sins on the cross. But he was put in a grave and he rose again, just as we sang about earlier. And he gives eternal life to everyone who would surrender their life to him, to you. And so I pray that for that person or those people who who need salvation this morning, that they wouldn't leave today without accepting the free gift that you're offering to every person here. Lord, we ask you to just move now in Jesus' name. Amen. Because of the struggles uh, in the first church here, many people in our day and time might suggest at this point that they were doing something wrong, right? Think about it. The church seems to be going good. It's growing. Lots of people are coming. Lots of people are getting saved. Lots of things are happening. And then all of a sudden it takes a real dark turn. Somebody who we thought would be maybe a, a really strong leader for a long, many years. Stephen, he was faithful. He was, he was there. He was ordained as a deacon. I mean, all those things. And, and, and he steps up and tries to be faithful and, and do something. And he's murdered. And so maybe some of the people... Uh, then thought that we're not told that but I, I believe today many people would in, in that same situation look at what's going on and say oh there's opposition what are we doing we, we just lost someone because of what we're doing there's problems something's got to be wrong there's problems it's been said many times if there's not problems you probably are doing something wrong if there's not problems see Satan knows he can't have the souls of the people of God But he can fight with everything that he has to keep us from being effective as God's people, as his church. Two objects or two people going in the same direction never come face to face. They never hit head on. It's important to decipher the difference between judgment and correction, discipline because of sin. And we can go back to Acts chapter 5 and see the story of Ananias and Sapphira, how how that was handled in the church by the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between that and and the attacks or the problems, the struggles, the persecution that comes because the people of God are being obedient. Look at the scripture the last time that we were in this study in Acts chapter 8. It says again that Saul was consenting to his death. It was talking about Stephen who was murdered. That means that, that, that Saul was in full agreement to his execution, to his murder. Saul was completely okay with this guy being murdered because he was simply preaching the gospel. The Bible says that at that time, a great persecution arose in the church, which is at Jerusalem. A great one, severe, a a very intense persecution came, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. But for Saul, he continued to make havoc of the church, entering to every house, dragging people out of their homes, men and women, committing them to prison. And then as I said a while ago, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And we saw all this in the last message, a stoning, a death, a great persecution, opposition, yet they didn't stop. The church didn't quit. They didn't leave being the church. Though they began to go back, some of them to their homes, because they had been gathered there from different regions. Some of them were displaced and had to leave Jerusalem, leave their homes and, and go out to other places. They didn't stop doing what they had given their lives to do. And that was follow Jesus and proclaim the gospel. People were dying. People were going to jail. Again, it's clear. People were hurting. Think about this. Think about if, if, if one of our leaders in our church was downtown or was somewhere in, in town here and sharing the gospel with somebody, and we found out that someone came up to them because they were preaching that, and they killed them on the spot. And how would we feel if people in, in our town began to say, well, this is okay because they're, they're speaking hate. They need to be judged. They need to be punished. They need to be taken out of society because they're doing nothing but spreading hate. Maybe there's a lot of people today, if that happened, they would say, oh, I'm not going back to church anymore. I'm definitely not going to hand a tract to him. I'm not going to share the gospel with anybody. I'll just kind of try to follow Jesus my own way and be my own person. A lot of people might have thrown in the towel. But the church, the word of God says, went everywhere preaching the word. Again, this human life we know is a struggle. It just is. Every single one of us go through problems in life, and the Christian life is no different. Just because you get saved, if you're here today and you're not positive that heaven's going to be your eternal home, and let's say today you say, you know what, I want that to change. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to accept his free gift of salvation. I want to know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Let's say you do that today. I promise you this. Just because you get saved, just because you have a 100% assurance that you're going to go to heaven when you die, when you leave this place, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems when you go back to work this week. It doesn't mean that you're not going to face health issues or struggles with relationships. Our life is a struggle, but we have to remember that just because there's opposition, just because there's a struggle, even as Christians, it, it doesn't mean that we're to let up or to quit or do anything else except press on until we reach the mark, the finish line, that upward call. Charles Spurgeon said, go forth today by the help of God's Spirit, vowing and declaring that in life come poverty or come wealth, in death come pain or come what may, you are and ever must be the Lord's. For this is written on your heart. We loved him because he first loved us. Acts chapter 5 verse 8 continues on the story. It says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Again, at a time that some could have suggested they were doing something wrong in the church because there were problems, we see the next deacon in line, right? What just happened? There was a problem in the church. They solved the problem. They ordained seven men who were faithful. They were, they were, they were, they were examples. They were, they were there, and they were teaching, and they were serving. They were doing all these things. They ordained them. The first one steps up and begins to share the gospel. He's stoned. The next one steps up, and he goes to Samaria the next leader steps up and does the same exact thing that got his fellow deacon stoned right before that. He's being obedient. In, in sports terms, 
They would probably call this, they were sticking to the playbook. Some might call that crazy, but God calls it faith and obedience. That he's going to abundantly reward one day. Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, whatever shame or burden that might accompany following him, even death, no matter what, do it. Because it's worth it. In the study, we've tried to gain lessons, again, points of emphasis from the first church that we can apply now as the last, the last church. And we're only going to get one point this morning. It's just the way it's going to go again. But this first point is so important. Leaders lead. Leaders lead. Leadership is example. And we know we, we look at leadership studies and we, we study the word of God. We, it's very clear that Jesus Christ set the first and the greatest example of all. You want to know how to be a leader? You know, what I try to, to seek after, I'm not perfect at all. But just look at Jesus' example and say, that's what I want to be like. That's the leader that I want to be. Philippians chapter 1 explains that if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy among the people of God, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same exact love, have the same mindset, have the same affection, being in full accord and of one mind. That's what Jesus desired. Paul was saying, as the church, this is what you need to do. And then he goes on further. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't be selfish. Don't be about you. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the things, to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's the same mind that Jesus had and he gave to his people who, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. But what he did is he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was to be cursed, is to be mocked at and scorned, exactly what he experienced. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to, gl to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your, live out your own salvation with fear and trembling." You can't work for salvation. Paul was exhorting them to live like they were actually saved. To live like Christians, which is to follow Jesus Christ, who is humble and obedient to the will of God, who had, who had submitted himself to God's will. And, you know, I asked our leaders in the past, but I think it should be asked of every single follower of Jesus Christ. If everyone was as faithful to church as you are, what would our worship services look like? Would we be able to have consistently, consistent weekly services? I've asked our leaders in the past, and again, I think it should be asked of every follower of Christ, if everyone gave like you did, could we support missions? Could we print our tracts? Could we meet needs of the church body? Could we pay bills? And uh, if, if you come here long enough, you know we're not a, a money-hounding church, but it's just a reality. 
if you were as faithful, if everyone was faithful as you, if everyone gave like you, if everyone served like you did, what ministry would get done and how well would the ministries get done? If everyone sang from the heart like you sang from the heart, would there be enough sound to fill these four walls? If everyone welcomed guests like you welcome guests, would anyone feel welcome? If everyone shared the gospel like you share the gospel on a regular basis, would anybody hear the good news? Every single one of us can come up with all kinds of excuses in our lives for why we do or why we don't do certain things. But the honest truth is it seems many times that the things of God end up getting the most excuses. And I believe it's mostly because what many people consider voluntary. If it's, it's, it's of our own willingness, or our own commitment. We, we make the choice to, to be at church or to, to give. We make the choice to, to serve or to, uh, to welcome. We make the choice to sing. It's a voluntary thing. But what does that willingness and that commitment look like compared to the God who willingly committed himself to die for our sins? Sins that he never committed, yet he gave all for sinners who did. What does our faithfulness and our commitment look like? Is it to death? Even the death of the cross? And is it really willingness or voluntary? Because scripture paints a little bit different picture. A picture of a bondservant. One who is purchased and no longer has the say in their own life. One who has surrendered everything to another. One who knows that they've been purchased. Again, Philip set the example. He was leading by example. Sharing the gospel with people. Now remember this. He went to Samaria. He was sharing the gospel with a group of people who historically were despised by the Jews. And the followers of Jesus Christ despised them up until the point that Jesus taught them that the Samaritans need to be reached as well. Philip Going down to Samaria might be like asking someone in the church to volunteer to clean out the sewer pipes. Ooh. Maybe it may not be that for you. Maybe you'd like asking someone who's going to teach a, a group of screaming kids. Or maybe who's going to talk to the outcast who no one's talking to. Philip showed up. Leaders show up. You don't have to wonder if a leader is going to be there because leaders lead. Again, leadership is example. It's it's influence. And I want to leave you with this. We are all leaders. Why? Because we are all supposed to be setting an example. We all have a measure of influence, whether it's in your own home what are you setting the example for, for, your peop- for the people in your home? The things of God. You're setting an example to people in this church. You say, I don't know that, I, I don't have any position in this church. You're, you're an influence to, to somebody in this church, I promise you. What about those in your adult connect group? What about the people that you work with, go to school with, the people that live next to you, across the street from you, the next generation? 
Everybody has some measure of influence, so everybody is in some way a leader. God, the things of God, his word, his worship, his church, his people, his gospel are all vital. It's not vital unless something more important comes along. And I'm burdened that that is what the next generation is seeing. It makes no wonder why the Bible says there's a great falling away in the end. If that's what we as this generation are setting for the next generation, that God and the things of God are important, unless you got something else better you got to do. And the next generation... I don't see how they have a lot of a chance. See, Stephen was just a simple man who offered his life to the one who gave him life. The God who gave him eternal life. And I believe God rewarded him abundantly. Not only with eternal life when he closed his eyes in, in, in death one day, but Philip, because he simply was obedient, left a leadership legacy for all time. Stephen did it, Philip did it, offering themselves as faithful servants. And God used him beyond what they could imagine. Again, setting an example in the church, even in 2021. Christians who would still be seeing him as an example, us today. God's still using faithful obedience to impact people. And I want to challenge you this morning. To follow Christ like these men follow Christ. Be an example. Leaders lead. It doesn't have to, again, uh, be redundant. It doesn't mean that you have to have a position of leadership in this church. But if you're a follower of Christ, you're setting an example for somebody. Somebody's watching, even if they never tell you, they're watching you. And it's important for us to set the example. To lead as he led us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do. God, we thank you for the challenge this morning. Lord, we, we know that the times we're living in to us seem to be challenging and difficult. And while some things may seem to be a little better, other things seem to get worse. Again, it just seems like our world has changed and Lord, for us as your people, we can rejoice because we know that you've never changed. Your word has never changed. Our call has never changed. The promises that you give us in your word have never changed. And so help us be faithful to you. Help us to stand on your truth. Help us to run to you, to look to you, to lift up our eyes, to, to look on things eternal, not on things of this earth. Lord, help us. Help us to run faithfully. Set an example for everyone around us of what it is to be a Christian, to be a church. And Lord, again, I pray that if someone's here and they're not sure that they're going to spend eternity in heaven, Lord, I pray that they'll either come right now at this invitation, they'll stop at the end, end of the service when everything's over and they'll, they'll ask someone at the welcome center or ask me, I have to know how to go to heaven when I die. Please don't let, lead, let anyone leave without having full assurance of where they're going to spend eternity. 
Lord, we ask you to just move now in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand. As he sings, I want to encourage you to come.